0: In this episode of the podcast, we'll meet Sarah Lenners, who is an associate at Bull City Venture Partners, a venture capital firm located in North Carolina. Sarah is an associate at Bull City Venture Partners. Prior to joining BCBP, Sarah was an investment banker at Lazard Middle Market, where she specialized in M&A execution
1: for consumer, food, and retail companies.
0: All right. looks like we're live here uh, on the Sutton Capital web show. So we've got Sarah Lenners from Bull City Venture Capital. Uh, really excited to have you here. It's uh, Bull City Venture Partners, to be correct, right?
2: That's right. Yep.
0: Yeah. Um, so to excited,
2: you- excited to
0: have you here. Um, and, you know, just thanks for giving us your time. Uh, you know, excited to learn a little more about your background. Um, and where, where are you calling from? Where, where are you guys located?
2: We're based in Durham,
0: North Carolina. Oh, nice. That's not too far away. I'm in New York. So, um, you know, you have to... Have you have you guys gotten out of uh, North Carolina recently? Or are you guys not, just...
2: <laughs> not recently, but excited to. <laughs>
0: yeah, we, we've done like a couple small trips, like
2: mm-hmm. uh, a
0: couple hours away, but haven't done anything too crazy. Um, but anyways, hey, you know, thanks for joining again and uh, would love to learn a little more about your background, how you got started. Um, the audience here is... Um, you know, a bunch of emerging managers. We've got people who are trying to break into VC. We've have, we have some entrepreneurs, so pretty diverse group of people, um, but you know, all just interested in both private equity and VC and um, learning a little more about your journey. So maybe you can just uh, kick it off with you know, where you grew up, if it was in uh, North Carolina. And uh, how, what was your story? How did you navigate into yeah. VC?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, actually, I grew up in Iowa. Okay. I went to Dartmouth where I ran track and was an econ major. Um, fast forward a few years, went to business school at the University of Chicago Booth, um, went into investment banking, um, first in New York, uh, working in the real estate gaming, lodging, and leisure group at Deutsche Bank. And then I uh, switched to Lazard Middle Market in Chicago where I did uh sell-side M&A for consumer food and retail companies. Um, and then a year ago switched, um, into venture capital.
0: What, uh, where in Iowa did you grow up? Uh, DeWitt. DeWitt. Okay. So <laughs> I, my first job out of college was in uh, Cedar Rapids. I don't know if that's. Oh near yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. So I, I have family there.
0: So where, how far away is that from, uh, like Iowa city and Cedar Rapids?
2: Oh, probably like an hour, hour and a half.
0: Okay. That's not bad. Yeah. So my first job out of college was, um, at Rockwell Collins. It was like an yeah. aviation company. So it was uh so I lived in Iowa City and then I commuted yeah. to uh to Cedar Rapids. We had a good time there. Um, oh wow. And then so then you went to and then you wanted to kind of get out of Iowa and see the rest of the world pretty much, right?
2: Yeah. Um you know I had the opportunity uh to run track at Dartmouth. Um that was a big dream of mine. So yeah, headed headed out east.
0: That's great. Yeah. So i I actually spoke with uh, we got Kevin on the line here. Kevin, um, you know, is also thinking about pursuing that same track, you know, with banking mm-hmm. um, and, you know, he wants to kind of start with investment banking and then maybe try to get some experience there and then transition into, to venture. Do you see that model and that path changing now, or do you think that's still a good path? And do you think that's still about the same where people are trying to maybe start as, you know, as an investment banker, Um, or do you see venture that career evolving more where people are coming from, you know, a tech background or a product Mm -hmm. background and now jumping in?
2: Yeah. Hi, Kevin. Um, I would say if your dream is to get into venture capital, try to go right in if you can. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, I loved investment banking and I learned a ton. Um, and, and those finance skills are helpful, but, um, you know, valuation and stuff, uh, you know finance in general and the venture end of the spectrum is very different um mm-hmm. than what i was doing in banking um, so i would say and and you know you see all different paths you know former former founders former operators um you know there are many paths that can lead here and if if it's what you want to do and you can get in directly that <laughs> i would go for it
0: yeah i know that's that's good advice um because there there's some people that take their career as like stepping stones. So like, Hey, you know, I eventually mm-hmm. want to get into venture. That's what I really want to do, but I think I'm going to go to business school first and then, you know, do banking. So your advice is, you know, if that's really what you want to do, don't burn two to three years, just go into what you want to do. Right.
2: Yeah. Yep.
0: And did you, was that your case? Did you always want to be a venture capitalist and you thought about banking as like the pathway into it? Or did you just kind of stumble upon banking? I mean, be, stumble upon venture uh, when you were getting into banking, I guess, what was your pivoting? What were your career aspirations and then what triggered that pivot?
2: Mm-hmm. I actually always wanted to get into banking.
0: <laughs> okay. got it. <laughs>
2: that's a little unusual, but yeah. um, I was, I was more exposed to venture capital when I was in business school after I had already started going down the, the banking path. Um, and I didn't really know anyone in the industry. I didn't really know how to get in. You know, there isn't a very formal, you know, recruiting path in like there is for banking. Um, so I didn't know much about it, but I was really interested in it. And mm-hmm. I took classes in entrepreneurship. Um, but yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't know as much about it, learned more later. Mm-hmm. And then um, you know, I feel really lucky that that I was able to get
0: in. Yeah, you know, when I was in college, when I grew up in I grew up in Florida, right? So mm-hmm. I didn't even know about venture. I knew nothing about yeah. banking. When I when I thought about banking, I thought about like Bank of America, like down the yeah. street, you know, like a teller. And I don't know if you ever watched The Office. Um, yeah. have you seen that episode? <laughs> um, oh
2: so, I love uh, the teller one. <laughs> so there's
0: a so there's an episode where Michael Scott goes to New York mm-hmm. City. Uh, from okay. Philly. And uh, one of his buddies is like, Hey, when you're at the bar, just tell people that you're a banker. Um, oh. <laughs> so he goes around and then uh, I guess somebody asked him at the bar, like what he does. And yeah. um, he's like, Oh yeah, I'm a teller. Um, and that, that was me. <laughs> like when I was in high school, I thought really banking was, um, you know, going, going and making a pot deposit at the bank. But mm-hmm. I went to New York one time and met a bunch of friends and they told me about investment banking and that's how I discovered it. Um, so I guess like your banking was like my engineering, you know, because I, I just thought that's all it was. Um, but, you know, how did you discover Venture? Did you start going to tech events? Did you just meet people that were VCs?
2: Well, when I was, when I was working on a, a sell side deal in banking, we were selling a company for a founder. And that mm-hmm. was uh, the first time I'd ever done a sale where the founder was still involved with the company. Yeah. Um, and that really opened my eyes to it. It's so much different when the founders, you know, was still involved and, you know, the business was her baby and she knew it inside and out. Yeah. Um, and there's a different feel and, um, you know, energy about it. And I wanted to be more involved in that, you know, spectrum of finance.
0: No, that's really interesting. And then tell me about um, Bull City Venture Partners. Was that the first fund that you joined, or um, mm-hmm. is this uh, is this an emerging fund? Maybe you can tell us about you know the journey into Bull City and and uh, maybe you know how your career has transitioned.
2: Mm-hmm. So I actually found out about this position through mm-hmm. a recruiter. Okay. Um. Yep. And uh, I think over the course of a month or so of six interviews. Um, was able to get, get, the, get a job here. Sure. Um, so Bull City Venture Partners is a seed and Series A investor. We're generally investing post-revenue, post-product, uh, investing in software, internet, mobile tech companies. We tend to focus on the Southeast and Mid-Atlantic um, just because that's in our backyard, but we can invest anywhere in the U.S. We are investing out of our fourth fund. Uh, we've made two investments out of there. Um, we can lead. We don't have to lead. We can be the first institutional capital in. Um, we don't you know, have any mandates with board seats um, or control or anything like that. Um, and we like to work really hard for our companies, whether that means um, introducing them to customers, mm-hmm. um, introducing them to capital, later stage capital, mm-hmm. um, if there's a, a round coming up that is too big for us to lead. Um, and also helping make introductions to, um, talent as they grow and scale. Um, we also like to invest in repeat founders or founders who have a deep industry knowledge or expertise. Um, you know, some of our founders we invested in, in fund two, they had a very successful exit and now we're investing in them again. Um, and, you know, so we're, we're kind of backing the jockey versus the horse. And because of that, that can kind of pull us from our core thesis a little bit. Um, And our portfolio is a little more concentrated than what you'd see on the West coast. So we're not making a bunch of tiny investments, hoping that one, um, you know, becomes a unicorn and subsidizes the rest of the portfolio. Um, It's more, more concentrated and uh, we're investing at a slower pace. So um, you know, two to four investments a year versus deploying it, um, you know, all up front. And then our check sizes can range from, um, depending on the stage, you know, 300,000 to 500,000 up to 3 million. Um, and then when we make that first investment, we intend to have, um, you know, two to three times that saved up in reserves, um, for our winners.
0: Well, that's really interesting. And is there a certain sector that you're interested in or maybe excited about more than uh, than the others?
2: Uh, you know, I do consider myself a generalist. Yeah, but, um, same here. I'm actually really interested in fintech. I never saw that coming, but yeah. <laughs> but I like to see a little bit of everything.
0: Yeah, I, have a, I think we t- chat about this. I have a fintech background as an operator, um, so I do have a passion on fintech. And, you know, fintech, if you just say fintech, it's so... Uh, it's so massive, right? There's so many yeah. different subsectors of fintech. Is there is there a subsector that you think needs innovation?
2: Oh, I think there's I think there's innovation and disruption everywhere. Yeah. And I think you know because we're kind of close to Charlotte, there's a lot of um, you know great companies that are emerging there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't have like a specific subsector that I'm like you know in particular looking at. You know, it's it's not it's not like yeah. a macro thesis, and I'm trying to find yeah. something that fits that. Sure. Um, yeah.
0: And any advice that you have uh, for the audience on just sourcing, because you guys make around mm-hmm. four investments, so it seems like mm-hmm. you guys, ha- you know, probably look at a lot of volume. And how, ha- you know, I'm assuming there's high selection criteria because there's only four deals that end up making it. So, um, you know, in general, are there any best practices to, you know, find deals inbound and outbound, and then uh, what are some best practices to screen them and eliminate them to leave the the best quality companies?
2: Mm -hmm. So I've only been investing in a COVID world where it's all virtual. So I don't know what it's like in normal time. Sure. Um, So yes, you're right. Just we see a ton of deals um, and they come from, you know, I will, I'll attend virtual demo days, pitch contests um, and and see a lot of deal flow that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Networking with um, your entrepreneurs, networking with other VCs. Um, you know, I, I frequently have calls with other VCs in other geographies that may see yeah. something great, but it's not a fit for their portfolio. And then they'll pass mm-hmm. it to me and vice versa. Um, and then just being involved in a bunch of um, VC groups. Um, you know, there's a, a group that I'm in, Women in VC. I think there's about mm-hmm. 3,000 members. Global. Oh, wow. Well. Um, yeah. And they, they you know, members are frequently posting, you know, seed stage opportunities, series a opportunities and, and beyond. So um, I think just trying to get out there and network as much as you can is is how I've been sourcing on the outbound side.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think some of the best deals that have been a fit for us. I mean, for me, I've been through text message. So just uh, texting, you know, a friend of mine, that's a VC and, you know, learning about it. And it's literally like a dachshund that you, that you can text to somebody. So that's, um, that's really true. I feel like definitely the, the network, um, and just connections have really helped. And, um, I, you know, I use Crunchbase sometimes, but I feel that again, you know, the best ones have been through, um, just hearing some of the context through friends and, uh, and reading their, their memos too. So. Um, that's that's really helpful. Um, what are some things that you know that you think are important in a founder when you look at the founder? You know, you mentioned that they're a past. Um, it's obviously obviously great if they're a serial founder and they've you know had an exit or something in the past. But uh, what are some characteristics that you've seen that have been a common characteristic in um, a lot of the deals that you've been excited about?
2: Yeah, I, I think having um, having you know some cycles under their belt definitely mm-hmm. helps, especially um when covid hit and there was a lot of uncertainty um and just having that muscle memory i think was very beneficial um mm-hmm. and then just you know having passion for their business um you know hiring the right talent having a great idea that is in a market you know that's large enough for the the opportunity to to be you know enormously successful um, but that's hard. It's, you know, it's a lot yeah. of intangible, um, hard to pinpoint.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I've heard feedback on being a gut-based investor, right? So it's mm-hmm. kind of tough, right? Because half of, you know, I, I met a VC before that was like, look, I never do gut-based investing. And huh. it's kind of tough to say that when you're in VC cause there's not really much data, right? I mean, there's, there's barely, not, yeah. barely the income statement and you're not even sure if, if they put it together yep. themselves or if <laughs> yeah. they have an outsource CFO. So it's as good as the numbers that they provide. So, I mean, I hate to say that it's based off of gut, but I I'd say maybe some conviction and just really believing in the sector. Um, mm-hmm. But would you agree that you only know if you're right, probably like seven years from now, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. To, be, to be honest, I mean, you're really yep. only going to know um, when you, when you do your reconciliation of your performance. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and
2: you also don't know if you're wrong until Many years later, too.
0: Yeah, <laughs> if
2: you missed
0: one. Yeah, and I think you know that's why I think it's good, you know, that there's these communities. Um, even with with my platform, there's been deals that I've been excited about, and then there's been some of the people in this room that have really just pointed out a lot of risks. And I think just maybe not being swayed. Maybe you can tell me about this. So, how do you navigate just different opinions? And then still stick to your own, right? Because you might really have conviction in a deal, uh, but then a lot of people uh, pass on the deal. Um, yeah. So how do you synthesize that? Do you do you let that manipulate your decision, or do you still um, just try to look at it objectively and not um, and not get really swayed in one direction?
2: That's a really tough question. Yeah, I think um, I think you know because we're you know we're a team of three. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone has different opinions and and voices them. Um, But if there is a consensus, that's great right off the bat. Yeah. Um, But I think that there is something to be said about being swayed because you know we'll hear you know X Y Z company just got a term sheet from someone else and then that kind of
0: yeah that's that's true. It's the FOMO pretty much right because you hear that uh, they didn't seem attractive until somebody else that's bigger courted them and now they're immediately like your hottest deal right
1: exactly. (laughs)
0: I think, you know, part of it too, what I try to do is obviously I have my opinion, but I try, I try to embrace being called out and being told that I'm wrong because Mm -hmm. if I had, you know, this is kind of like, believe, you know, agree with it or not, but I mean, Bridgewater has a lot of different attributes and, you know, one of them, they have a lot and they're known for different attributes, but one of them is, um, just being able to, uh, you know, radically be transparent on like what they believe. Right. So I think that would be interesting in venture. Mm-hmm. If you could look at a deal and maybe you have an ego and you really believe in the company, but there's tons of flaws in that company. And a lot of people are pointing that out. I think uncovering that might help you, uh, change your opinion. Um, but I think a lot of times like you have so much conviction, right. Cause you just believe in the founder, you're emotionally invested, mm-hmm. uh, where you still want to invest and, I feel like there's examples like with Airbnb where everybody thought Airbnb was just a stupid idea, but there were some people that still, no matter what, they still had conviction and those people were right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think like synthesize, for me, it's like synthesizing all the data, right? So I've got a bunch of people that don't agree with uh, investing and then there's a bunch of people that do and maybe maybe looking at like why they don't agree with you um, and synthesizing that could maybe maybe sway me a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. so. Yeah, Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And then what are some um artifacts that you think are helpful when you're analyzing deals? So probably the the deck, the term sheet, you know, the financials. I mean, I'm assuming in the beginning it's really just um just some high level, you know, notes on the sector and the deal, right? I guess maybe you can walk me through the best practices just for the audience on um just deal flow management and you know, the 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 sourcing all the way down to the actual execution of um of like writing the check.
2: Yeah. Um, it, it is, it can be challenging to juggle everything. Um, mm-hmm. and especially, you know, we were raising a fund, so we also had, you know, fundraising. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: So you were, um, so you were involved it, in, you were involved in some of the fundraising of fund four as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was launched, you know, shortly after I joined.
0: Yeah. That's great. Yeah. We can talk yeah. about that too. Cause I think, um, you know, one, one of the things that I'm doing too is an emerging manager,
2: uh, mm-hmm. program.
0: So there's a lot of people that are just going through uh, raising the fund, but I, but you, but I want to touch on the previous point that you're talking about, which is really juggling, right? Because yeah. um, one thing I want to say is, you know, one day I'm at the bank, like why, making three wires. And then right after I have mm-hmm. like a first call with like a founder. And then right after that, there's like, you know, a, you know investment committee. So I feel like there's the yeah. full stack of like all mm-hmm. the stages and you're like managing all of those at the same time. But I feel like if you're doing that with fundraising, I mean, that's just, I feel like fundraising just needs to be a dedicated like full-time job. Um, you know, I don't know if you want, you know, if you've read like Elizabeth Yin's blog on how she raised 11 million, but it was, I think she took like almost like 700 meetings in a couple months. Um, and it was really like being oh, a wow. sales rep. You're uh-huh. like, you're like a sales rep pretty much, you know, you're yeah. building a pipeline and what, what I thought was really interesting. So I, I listened to her podcast on Venture Unlocked with Samir Kaji Mm-hmm. and um, she was just saying there's no correlation with there's no like pattern at all with the with the lps that converted like she was just saying huh. like, it was just more of like a numbers game where she met tons yeah. of lps and uh-huh. some lps committed for no specific reason um so it really is kind of like maybe uh, like a sales strategy because wow. if you're yeah. if you're prospecting leads Um, as a sales rep, let's say you work for an enterprise company, right? You're targeting Mm -hmm. like a certain Mm -hmm. type of sector industry. Um, she was just saying like, it's the same thing. So, um, and and when you did the fundraising, I guess, were you involved in it or were you, um, were you just kind of coming in at the tail end?
2: I was involved. Um, and, and even with, you know, the, the formation docs and stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, but I will say, you know, there's a track record. Um, so that helps. That helps um, a lot, yeah. And you know, just leveraging, yeah, leveraging your your prior investors. Um, so you know, especially I think for a first time fund, uh, first time funds, it, I think it was challenging to raise in COVID. That's what I've heard. Um, yeah. But yeah, we were we were fortunate to to have, you know, prior relationships.
0: Yeah, and I think it's great to show those you know really great wins on your on your deck when you got the track record. Mm-hmm. So it's it's good, especially when you're raising more institutional rounds. Um, do you have any buddies that are on their first time fund and, and if so, you know, any, any words of wisdom that they have as far as like raising their fund?
2: Uh, I don't know anyone firsthand who's doing that. Um, Mm -hmm. I do see it in some of the the groups that I'm involved, um, with, um, I think there's a lot of resources out there for people who are, um, you know, raising their first round. Um, but I, I think that's really neat when, when people are doing that on their own.
0: Yeah, I think it's great, you know, when you have the communities that you're in, you know, I think a lot of those people are sharing knowledge, they're sharing mm-hmm. resources. I think I saw on Twitter, like, um, I, I was thinking about putting this together myself. So when you if you're doing like an SPV, mm-hmm. normally, there's like a typical email that you send out it, like the email has like, hey, this is when the deadline is to, to do your commitment. This is your wire. Um, so I thought about just taking that and turning that into like a resource or something, because I thought that would be helpful.
2: Oh, yeah. Um,
0: do you think there's any resources that you think uh, could be helpful for you that, that maybe you've been looking for on the internet?
2: Uh, as it relates to sourcing deals? Yeah, or maybe anything? sourcing
0: deals or just anything in venture. I was just curious.
2: Um, we're always looking mm-hmm. for, for new deals, for sure. Um, yeah,
0: So more on the sourcing? So that,
2: that's one. Yeah. 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 Uh
0: as far as uh sourcing, are there any um are there any tools that you recommend for uh sourcing besides like uh crunch base and pitchbook or um you know connecting with with uh other friends?
2: So I haven't used any of the databases. Yeah. Um but I, I know a lot of people do. Yeah. I, I think basically everyone else I know <laughs> does generally use those. Yeah. Um and also just, you know, the accelerators and incubators, um, yeah. just, you know, seeing what's there, you know, because we also like to invest, um, after we've met somebody a few times, you know, not
1: mm-hmm.
2: after the, the first meeting. Um, so it's good to develop the relationship, um, you know, early on, um, yeah, I guess any sourcing tips always great.
0: Great to have those. Yeah, no, I think, um, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, really just, you know, connecting with the networks and, and, uh, you know, collect collecting just thoughts across the community. I think all of that is really helpful. Um, I guess maybe I'll open it up to the, uh, to the group if anybody has any questions and, you know, feel free to chime in. um, If any of you guys have questions, if not, I'm just going to call on you guys. No, I'm just kidding.
3: Miss Sarah, how are
0: you?
2: (laughs) Good. How are you? Hi, Kevin.
3: I'm great, I'm great. Thank you so much for asking about me. I'm a first year MBA scholar studying at Florida a and University. Thank you for speaking to us this afternoon. I wanted to ask specifically, um, your senior associate for Bull City Venture Partners. I was curious to know how that firm got on your radar um, in terms of your selection of venture firms um, and kind of how you selected them, did they find you Um, kind of, you could tell that and share that story with us.
2: Sure. Um, so I actually, uh, found out about it through a recruiter who, Mm -hmm. um, was helping them find candidates. Um, so it was actually through a third party. Um, and I, I don't think that is as common, but I know there's, um, there's blogs out there that will aggregate or aggregate, um, postings like John, uh, again, blog, Mm-hmm. Um, so, so was it, so there are ways, mm-hmm. it was
3: a recruiter for the fund.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's a good yep, point.
0: Yeah. That's, outsourced. you know, I, I was getting too much into the weeds of like process and sourcing. And I think a good topic <laughs> is really recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good point because I think recruiters normally, you don't really work with recruiters or placement mm-hmm. agents for funds. I would say also, it's just most of the funds are not, Um, you know, those positions that are available, they usually don't always publicly advertise Mm -hmm. them. I found some weird off the radar roles just through my LinkedIn feed because I've just connected with so many VCs. So sometimes they'll just post on their LinkedIn feed that we're hiring, but, um, I would have, you know, people have told me they would have never known about it on LinkedIn or, or on, um, or in indeed. So I think you, you know, you were a fortunate case, but any advice, you know, maybe through the you, the communities that you're in with the other VCs, uh, what have mm-hmm. they been saying as far as like how they broke in any, any tips, um, that, that they've given you or that you've heard through the, through the community?
2: Um, let's see. Generally there, generally, I think it's through networking. Yeah. Um, I just posted a link, um, which, which does have a bunch of openings where you can find positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's updated pretty regularly. Um, but I think it, it does generally take a while. And I think if a fund, if you know that a fund is raising a new fund, um, then there's a chance that they're bringing more people on board. Um, but I think it is, you know, just trying to network. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I wish I had a better <laughs> answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I think maybe, re- like you said, reaching out, what do you think you should say to a VC? Like, what would you, what would you recommend not to say? And then what, what should you say? So let's say that Kevin, uh, cold messages, um, maybe, maybe a VC, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, what should he not say? And, you know, maybe what are some good things to maybe call out?
2: Yeah, I think. The way I, I usually get inbounds is through LinkedIn uh-huh. and, you know, some, usually a student will reach out to me yeah. and they'll say, um, you know, hi, Sarah, you know, I'm interested in a career in venture capital. Do you have 10 or 15 minutes to talk to me about your path in mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, leave your email address and maybe some availability. Yeah. Um, that's generally how, how I get inbounds. And I do, I do try to respond take them. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that's a good, you know, attitude to have. And I, I try to take as many as I can too. And I think, um, mm-hmm. what I've thought is a pretty slick trick too, is, uh, sometimes if you, you know, I'm, I'm a power user of Calendly. So I'll like, I'll send somebody mm-hmm. a message and then I'll give them the Calendly and I'll be like, Hey, if you're interested yeah. in chatting, um, click on it. And I usually just try to do like a 15 minute meeting. Um, mm-hmm. but I think to add to that, maybe one thing that I would say is maybe personalize it a little bit too. It's like, Hey, Sarah, you know, I know that you're focused on, I, I know that you love fintech. Here's, you know, I think they maybe take it one step further. Here's like a really cool fintech deal. Did you hear about it? Oh yeah. I'd love to, would love to chat about it if you got 15 minutes. Um, and by the way, I got a memo that I wrote so I can go through it with you. I feel like that would be tempting for you to click on the Calendly and yeah. book time because that would probably help you do your job well. Right. I mean, if you found mm-hmm. a really good fintech deal and then that person attributed to it, um, you know, maybe that's someone that you would maybe recommend, I assume. That's right? a great idea.
2: Yeah. 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 I haven't seen that. It would definitely stand out.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think um, that one's good. Sometimes you can do like a deck. So like a, a high level presentation on like an investment sector. So like, I mm. think even, even if it wasn't a specific deal, because I think sometimes the challenge is if, uh, if you're not a VC um, founders won't like take a call from you, right. To, to like pitch you. Cause you're just some random student, uh, no offense to the students in here, but, um, but the founders may just not think that you're going to write a check. Right. So they may not want to take a call. So I think one thing that they, that tell me if this would be helpful, Sarah, like if they wrote some high level thesis on FinTech, it's like, Hey, we've got FinTech. And then this is how I decompose FinTech. We've got like the future of payments. We've got, um, you know, we've got the, few, you know, banking 2.0. Uh, we've got decentralized finance, right? And then we've got NFTs mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So um, I feel like, do you think that would be helpful too? Some type of like high level macro uh, report on a certain but, sector?
2: Yeah, that's interesting. It would definitely stand out, um, but I wouldn't try to, you know, fake it. Yeah. Um, and that might be hard to, to do to a lot of, mm-hmm. if you're targeting a lot of VCs.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, it, but it
0: interesting. Is, and as far as faking it, you mean like um, just make sure that you do a good job doing some really detailed analysis on the, on the mm-hmm. sector. Right. Yeah. And I think either way, even if it doesn't work out, even if you don't convert on the, on the meeting, I think just going through that exercise is mm-hmm. a really good one because you're just learning so much about the sector. Um, and I think I would highly recommend anybody to just do, you know, multiple different sectors, like maybe one on, whatever you're excited about. It could be the future of food. It could be, you know, B2B SaaS, it could be quantum. Um, but I think if you could, the more you can tailor it, um, I think it would be a better, probably higher conversion rate with the, uh, person that you're trying to engage with. So, um, cool. Good question. Any, any other questions, guys?
3: I have another question. No one else. I don't want to hug all the time.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Uh, <clears throat>
3: Sarah, in in your interview process um, with the fund that you're currently um, a senior associate with, are they expecting um, you to come with your own ideas or maybe specialization of a specific sector or industry?
2: I think it depends on the fund. Um, Mm -hmm. If they are very sector-focused, I would say have have a viewpoint. Um, But so, so my interview process, it was, it was six interviews over, you know, I think a month and a half or so. Mm -hmm. Um, and it very wide ranging, um, less technical than what you'd see in like a banking interview. Um, but just, you know, I I think universally just have, have an answer to why do you want to work here? Why do you want to work in venture capital? And yes, having some type of um, thesis, investment thesis, um, it
1: is, is great. Awesome, um, thank you so much, Sarah. Um, I'm actually based in the UK and I've got I've got a, a banking experience. I'm just about to pop up to pick up my daughter, but I've got this question, right? And yeah. I, was, I was excited about <laughs> what you said with regards to joining this group of venture, women in venture, and as you said it, I got on Telegram and I was looking for groups of that nature, right? And I found uh-huh. it's—I think it's in Arabic—but it's a very interesting way to just plug in, and I, I'm going to start adopting that. But what I've got is a question from the, the financial space, right? So we've identified mm-hmm. uh, female managers. Actually, produce mm-hmm. a lot more stable returns than most of the the men or, or the male managers. And I just wondered, which especially when you mentioned, oh yeah, this group about um, women in venture. I just wondered, do you see um, a tendency for female entrepreneurs to have certain um, I don't know attributes that their male counterparts may not have? Is that or is that? But is that something potentially there that hasn't been discovered yet? Just to throw that out there.
2: Uh, Okay, just to make sure I heard the question right. The question is, um, are female investors seeing something different in the companies that they're looking at?
1: One. um, And two, is that the same for the female entrepreneurs and business owners?
2: Um, Okay. (laughs) So this is also tougher for me because we're generally investing in software companies. Mm -hmm. So I think... The the mix is a little, um, a little more skewed towards um, male founders, anyway. Um, but I think if you're in a different sector, you're probably seeing a lot more female founders. I, I don't see a ton. Sure. Um, and I this this is a tough one. I'm not <laughs> sure. I do feel like when female founders are reaching out to my firm, I feel like I'm getting a lot of those inbounds. Mm-hmm. Um. So, that's my best answer. <laughs> no, I'm not sure think, how to, to quantify that. I think
1: I think I think it's interesting because there was a point where I was exploring um, managers that were creating fund of funds purely with women mm-hmm. fund managers, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they apparently their returns were actually a lot better than fund of funds with male fund managers. I noticed this is public the public markets mm-hmm. and they, they oh, oh, said yes. about just the temperament of the female managers selections and, um, yeah. during the volatile markets, they actually maintain better alpha. Mm-hmm. So I do wonder if there's something there, you know, something to be sure. explored. So, uh, but thank you. Thank you for trying at least. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think there's a huge yeah, that's initiative. Really interesting. Yeah. I was just going to say, I was thinking about, um, Harlem capital, Uh, They just went on this week in startups a couple, I think last, last week, and their mandate is focusing on diversity, but they also focus on women. Um, But the women that they invest in don't have to be under a certain diversity. It's just women of any race. Um, but then they're really focusing mainly on African-American and Latinx. So I just thought that was, you know, really interesting. And it's great that they they have a lot of these initiatives and just having, you know, networks like women in VC, I think just kind of getting, uh, different groups together, uh, whether it's, you know, based on gender or, you know, sexual orientation, there's GANGELS as well. So I don't know if you guys have been hearing about GANGELS. GANGELS is a, um, it's an LGBTQ angel group and, um, they have a massive track record of deals. They've been just writing um, a lot of checks very frequently, um, but that community has been really coming together to um, to generate alpha. So I think no matter what group you come from, as long as you're part of a community um, and you're collecting thoughts together, I think you can really generate alpha because you're, um, you're kind of building that platform together and supporting each other. So I think... Um, the more that they have these things, I mean, like Sarah said, she doesn't even have to use the database because her database is like the collection of minds of um, the people that she's working with. So, um, so I think that's great. So,
2: but I I um, love that. Cool. What are the concept of alpha, in, alpha inventor? Uh, yeah. Just quantifying that, it just it's something that really really fascinates me.
0: I got another question. So, you know, I know that you really wanted to get into banking in the beginning. Uh, what are some mm-hmm. of the uh skill sets and tricks that you developed as a banker uniquely. Because as you know, as we can yeah. probably both agree, everybody has a superpower, right? So me, I was a product person. So whenever mm-hmm. I support founders, I like test the app and give like UI feedback. Um what are some of the superpowers that you think a banker can bring into uh being a venture capitalist?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think I really see it when it comes to mergers mm-hmm. um and and sell side processes. Um just you yeah. know being on the other side of that. Uh, and bringing that knowledge um, has been really, really helpful and helps me provide insight um, when we're about to transact.
0: Yeah. Cause that's a big thing too. I mean, in the early stage, you don't really know what the next valuation is going to be. You know, somebody was asking me the other day, like, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, how do you think about valuation? And it's like, really, it's the lead investor that sets the term. So you're really just um, yeah. agreeing with the valuation. And then, you know, we normally co-invest so we're, we're you know, precede to series A, but we don't normally mm-hmm. lead deals so we're really just kind of looking at the terms and then we we co-invest mm-hmm. um, so but but i think what you're saying is as a banker looking at you know the later stage the m a deals um you're probably also doing some type of return analysis or so thinking through mm-hmm. like hey you know what we're investing the company is worth 10 million now it'll mm-hmm. probably you know maybe two or three x in valuation in a couple of years and you probably model that out kind of like you would have done in banking right
2: yeah yeah, uh, there it's so much harder to to pinpoint valuations in the beginning. Yeah, because there's no um, data, right? So you're kind no. of
0: making up all the data. You're assuming that they'll be making, yeah. you know, five x in revenue in two years, right?
2: Yeah. It, the best way that I can describe it is that it's just like a supply and demand kind of, you know, in action, and yeah, a number gets assigned based on that versus based on. Um, you know a quantitative valuation um so yeah you probably so you
0: probably rely on comps as well too right so i mean when you're looking at like some type of investment that you invested in now i'm assuming mm-hmm. you're probably looking at some company that exited that was a similar type of business for some type of multiple is that a good framework or are there any other best practices when you're trying to evaluate how the um how the exit would happen
2: yeah, if, it, if it's near an exit, yes, definitely looking at comps. Yeah. Um, but I'll say valuations just uh, these days are just a lot higher than the normal mm-hmm. at all stages.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. And ha- you know, I got another one. Do you do you see differences um, with valuation with different states, and how do you guys handle that? Because you guys are mainly focused on. Um, you know, the, the Northeast and the, and the Southeast. So uh, is there a certain type of valuation that you're, that you're comfortable with? Because obviously it can be, they can be much more expensive in, you know, San Francisco and New York. I mean, I see differences between Mm -hmm. New York and Jersey, right? Yeah. So um, are you guys pretty sensitive to that? And, you know, when you're looking at these deals, is there kind of a, you know, certain threshold that you're looking for as far as valuation?
2: Um, We definitely were thinking about, you know, what kind of a multiple can we get, um, over the the life of our investment? We're definitely thinking about that at the beginning.
1: Um,
2: but we don't have any certain, um, ranges that we're targeting for each stage. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, I just, but I, I do feel like valuations are high at any stage right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you don't have the data, so you don't know, how big the multiple is going to be when they get to their series A or B mm-hmm. um, versus banking. Like you could probably take some of the current revenue and model that out. Right. <laughs> Which is probably yeah, the biggest difference. And,
2: yeah. And you know, they're profitable companies generally. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, even multiples, um, comps, DCF, all that.
0: Um, what are some other superpowers that you've seen from other VCs, maybe from other backgrounds that you thought, were interesting. So, you know, have you seen like somebody come from like a, a writing background that was a VC or, you know, any of your, your friends in your women's VC group, have you seen anybody that just came from just a, a background from left field or are they mainly all just, you know, the traditional banking route and then, and then VC?
2: You'll, you know, you'll see some consultants too, prior yeah. consultants. Um, I think it can be, it, it really can be anything. Yeah. And if you're passionate about the industry um you know your skills from whatever career you had before will will translate in some way at some point um mm-hmm. so you know there isn't one path and um i think it, i think networking um and and the hustling i think that that helps um yeah. by far
0: yeah, I think I truly believe anybody can be a venture capitalist. Um, it's such a relationship-based business. So as long as you're able to, mm-hmm. I would say the key skill sets are building a network. I feel a lot of it is mm-hmm. community and content, right? So I'm trying to build some content here in community, um, but, you know, there's people that have been doing it for a long time and, you know, half of the alpha is really um, building that, that community and network. Um, and then I think Shayla here had a question. I think this is a good one too. So you get the deck, um, you know, what are the, maybe the first two or three things that you look at or think about with the deck?
2: Um, I think the, my very first screens are that it, you know, is located in the U S um, looking for, you know, post-product revenue. Um, those are my very, very first screens. And then you want to make sure, um, you know, that the market that it's going after is big enough, mm-hmm. um, you know, looking at competitors, um, any moat that they have. Yeah. Um, I think those are the team. Yeah. Um, those are kind of the first screens.
0: Is there an ideal monthly revenue that you're looking for or like ARR that you're looking for or just general, just at least showing that they have revenue?
2: Yeah, I would say, uh, just, just general
0: Okay. So it could vary. It doesn't have to be as specific. And I Mm -hmm. mean, what I like to see is, um, you know, from year one to year two, just some step up in revenue or Mm -hmm. some uh, increase in value of the revenue as well. That way you can kind of, you can probably make some assumptions of like the potential valuation that would coincide with the revenue step ups as well. Right. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And any KPIs, any user metrics, um, any, any data like that is great.
0: Um, do you guys, is it mostly B2B or do you guys also look at consumer as well?
2: Most, mostly B2B.
0: Got it. Yeah. yeah. So both, so the KPIs are pretty consistent, um, because it's kind of a basic framework for any you guys, maybe for B2B, um, are there any specific KPIs that would be helpful for people to look at as they're evaluating B2B startups that has worked for you?
2: Um, I think, I think it's generally how, how the founder mm-hmm. Sees it and tracks it, yeah. because um, they're they're gonna know, you know, the best um, way to look at it and analyze yeah. it. So sure. definitely re- relying on them when it's an industry that I don't mm. have, um, you know, a specialty in.
0: Yeah, that's a good point because different, even though it's just B2B, you know, ARR is just a very general metric, but they may be tracking things differently in their dashboard as far as like maybe what's important to them. I think what you're saying is like for some businesses, like average time spent in in a B2B SaaS platform may be more important than somebody else that's just like paying for a transaction or something or like using data. Cause I think there's Mm -hmm. really interesting. So there's a, there's an interesting fintech company that I met in Singapore. I mean, not Singapore in Israel. And uh, what they do is uh, they can take, um, so they build like custom models for people. And mm-hmm. then um, if you want to build more models, it just automatically bills you. Um, but it's kind of more on demand versus like the typical mm-hmm. financial terminal where you have to like pay for uh, like a Bloomberg and then yeah. like, just um, just pay for the terminal and you yeah. get kind of limited sets. But this company is a little more bespoke, um, mm-hmm. but like their metrics are really like how many custom models were built. And, mm-hmm. um, and then it, the, the billing gets scalable based on like how much processing they're doing. Um, so I feel like those KPIs would be different than just, um, mm-hmm. just like an annual subscription, right? If you are just yep. paying for Salesforce and then you buy a couple, like it's a Salesforce, like CRM and you buy the base system, which is like 15 grand. And then you just upgrade to a couple apps. I feel like that's much more similar, but I think you're mm-hmm. right. Like thinking about how they, um, analyze their, their platform and like success of the platform, I think is really interesting. So
2: yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, so we got about 10 minutes. Maybe we'll take a couple more questions. Um, anything else, guys?
4: I had one one question. Sure. Uh, hi, Sarah. Um, I'm also from the UK. Um, I did a similar sort of uh, pre-career path, so also an economics graduate at Warwick yeah. um, and now in banking. And I found that when studying economics, you get a lot of the investment banks come to you and they just sell this massive dream. Um, and then it pushes you towards sort of IB and also your whole co- cohort is you know, wanting to go in that direction. Yeah. So that sort of fueled my interest in IB Mm -hmm. uh, predominantly. And I wasn't really, um, you know, you you don't see a lot of VCs coming to pitch to sort of uh, economics grads. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know you mentioned, you know, in the beginning um, something about, you know, try to go right into VC. So what would you, um, how would you sort of say economics grads or people in that sort of space can get into it when there's such an inflow of IBs? and then the second point was around sort of how does your experience in banking compared to now being in VC? Obviously, banking is a very different environment to VC. Yeah. There's sort of crossover paths. Um, and you talked about how you're starting to build your network. But what I've seen in banking is that you kind of have to build your own internal network to get recognized in banking itself. So I'm guessing that helped you um, when, it, when it's come to VC as well.
2: Yeah, um, great questions. It's very different. Then banking, um, you know, the hours and banking can be pretty brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just never having a weekend off, working till 3.30, you know, for a month and a half, <laughs> um, it definitely, definitely wears, wears on you. But, um, but I will say, you know, the skills that you learn in banking, whether it's the finance and the strategy, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're creating pitch decks, you um, for companies with potential you know, acquisitions targets and you're developing a sector um, expertise. So that will always come in handy. Um, oh. And then, uh, then you know, your friends who went into banking, eventually they a lot of them will go into corporate jobs. So I have a lot of friends who are at companies who could potentially help our portfolio of companies um, you know, by eventually becoming a customer someday. So being able to connect them is hugely beneficial. Um, uh, the, the cohort that I did banking with, um, I don't think anyone else went into VC. Some went into private equity, some went uh, corporate or some, the rest are still there. Those are kind of the three, three tracks. Um, but the skills that you develop and the network that you develop there, it still translates Um into VC, you know, and, and I think it'll be very beneficial that you have had that.
0: Do you miss, uh, do you miss banking at all besides the hours, but sometimes. like, just, do you miss, do you miss the work? Cause, um, there's a lot of modeling, right. A lot of quantitative stuff. So you, mm-hmm. sometimes you miss that stuff.
2: Yeah. And then just the pace of it. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it was also, everything was in person too.
0: Yeah. So, and I think the, the biggest dynamic with banking, too, is you can kind of see results pretty quickly, right? You either yeah. do the transaction or you don't, right? And yeah. you can you can see the uh, the waterfall once it happens. So, um, yeah. so that's interesting. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate your insights of um, some of those key uh, skills and how they translated into VC. And I'll, I'll wrap up in a few minutes. But I think one question that I always like to ask at the end is um any piece of advice that you've gotten from a mentor, um, you know, looking back on your career or just uh, someone that you have shadowed, um, anything profound that they shared with you that you want to share with us?
2: Um, I think, you know, just building your network Mm -hmm. and, and always trying to help when people reach out, you know, pay it forward. Cause I, I think that always does come back, um, to benefit you. Um, so, you know, that would, that'd be my piece of advice. Try to meet as many people as you can network, um, that will come in handy.
0: That's really a good point. I mean, I, there's, there's a friend of mine It's my cousin's friend. Um, he works at Blackstone and, you know, you can imagine, right. Everyone's trying to get a meeting with him. Mm-hmm. And, um, I asked him the same question and he was like, look, you know, yeah. just take meetings because you never know where, the, where they'll lead. Um, even if you don't get anything out of it, yeah. um, just take meetings because you never know. Mm-hmm. That person may know a pastor that's like an LP. I mean, maybe that person knows a pastor that's related to yeah. an LP. And, you know, I think if you just kind of take meetings to get to know people and build connections without expecting anything, I think somehow the universe works out. So good advice. Appreciate I it. So. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. And I try to do the same thing as much as I can. And I think you can probably try to optimize your time with time boxes. So Calendly is a good thing to do. You could even block off what I thought was really good. I think they said this in Radical Habits, um, blocking off a time in your calendar or your week for like collaboration time. And that's like the set day and time box where you're saying, hey, you know what? This is the time where I can meet new people. And you know, when it fills up, they can just kind of grab the next week. Um, but at least you have that time allocated. So that was uh, something I picked up. Um, but this is great. So, anybody else have any final questions? If not, we'll we'll wrap up and, and let Sarah get back to what she's working on.
3: Yes, I guess last question, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, being that I'm a, I'm an amateur, a novice in the uh, the venture space, uh, I want to know in terms of venture capital with an early stage uh, startup and early fund. Is there a way to, if the business is producing revenue, is there a way to contractually structure, or is this commonplace to contractually structure cash flow until you make the official exit, let's say seven years out, um, to reduce the basis um, that you originally invested in the company and to ultimately increase your overall uh, rate of return? Is that, is that actually done?
0: So you mean like are you saying like uh, hold the so company?
3: About yeah, are you saying like hold dividend? the company?
0: Well, are you saying that holding the company accountable to generate revenue? You no, not
3: not hold the company accountable to generate revenue, meaning uh-huh. that if the company is is free cash flow, mm-hmm. um is in the key, free cash flow space, free cash yeah. flow positive. Yeah. Um, where based upon whatever your, your stake is or your share size as a means of mm-hmm. reducing your basis, um until you actually um, exit your position, or is it just um, or is the return strictly based on exiting your stake or your equity within the
1: company?
2: Yeah, it, it would be on the exit. You're not gonna. I think you're talking about. Are you gonna take if they're free cash flow positive? Are you gonna take dividends? um No, you would want yeah, you would want absolutely. that cash to stay in the business. Um, so yeah. the business can okay. use that cash to grow, versus paying it out to investors. I think I think that would. Um, be harmful to the company at the early stage you do see that in private equity um, they'll do a dividend recap mm-hmm. um, but but yeah not not in a, an early stage company
3: okay that makes sense thank you
0: cool well hey Kevin good question and Sarah. Thanks so much for your time, for paying it forward, supporting, uh, you know, the community and uh, excited to hopefully, uh, you know, get together sometime whenever you make it out to New York and I'll give you a ring when I make it out there.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me and feel free to reach out to anyone. Good luck. Thanks, Sarah. Take care. Yeah, thanks. Bye. Yep. Bye, guys.